bypass the compressor. You are the chosen one! Something truly special. Congratulations, you are being rescued. Revenge is not the Jedi way. I am no Jedi. Might not make you intelligent, but we're going to try to prove otherwise. This is the Clashing Sabers podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and I am here with my co-host. He's our resident Imperial co-conspirator. It's... <laughs> that must be Drew. How are you guys doing? How, how are you, Brandon? I am fantastic, but we're going to get into that more in just a little bit because I want to introduce our other co-host. We couldn't talk about what we're talking about tonight. Uh, which is, of course, Ahsoka, because what else is everybody talking about? Uh, without having the third member of our crew, he has the other 25% of Hu Yang's original parts holding him together. <laughs> That's weird. It's... It's Devor. Hello. So guys, we're talking about Ahsoka. We're talking about Ahsoka. I'm so yep, excited. It, they, it, they released it. Can you believe it? It's a, a Star Wars property that's real now. We finally like we finally get to talk about the actual show now. Like we <laughs> we speculated, we predicted, we prognosticated, and now we are talking about the thing. Like I'm just I'm excited. I know you guys have opinions. Um, yes, obviously, Correct. like that is is what we do here, and uh, and we're gonna get into it. We're gonna delve into them. But we are just happy to have each and every one of you who are listening along with the ride for us or with us rather. And if you are not already, make sure you are subscribed on the podcatcher uh, that you are listening to right now and make sure that you are following us on all of our socials. You can find us over at Clashing Savers across the social verse, if you will. So tonight we are going to to switch things up, not only by just starting right away talking about what we're going to talk about, but we're actually going to steal a little uh, fun thing that we do on our book podcast, Don't Burn the Sacred Text. And we're going, on, on, on that show rather, we rate books before we discuss them and then re-rate them after our discussion, after we uh, get into it, if you will. So tonight, we are going to rank the first two episodes of Ahsoka right now and then have our conversation and we will circle back at the end and see if our opinions have changed. Now, I was thinking about this as I was getting ready and I'm going to leave it up to the individuals, whether you want to rank each episode uh, and do two separate rankings or if you want to rate them together because I know opinions can vary about how you feel about each individual episode or as the as a whole, you know, because to me, it all kind of blurs together for one into one episode. So, yeah. Drew, I am really intrigued because you, you were telling us before we started recording that you had intentionally kind of avoided some of our text threads uh, to, to get opinions here tonight. And I know you haven't dropped a lot in there. So what are your ratings or your singular rating if you choose that for this uh, for these episodes? We, we typically do this out of five. Is that correct? Yeah, out of five. Okay, so I'm going to lump the two of them, two episodes, into a singular rating, which does kind of make it a little bit more challenging, but I don't really know that you can take one of these episodes without the other, um, especially if they're going to release them together at the same time this way, then we're going to talk about them at the same time. Uh, it's kind of my approach. Um, and out of five, I'm going to give them a two. Wow. Okay. Okay, that is... Not exactly the direction I was expecting that to go. It's uh, exactly the direction you're expecting it to go. Don't lie to yourself. <laughs> it's, at, it's exactly the direction I was hoping it wouldn't go. Oh, no. 
But I've broken your tiny little heart again. <sighs> For the record, this was the direction I was expecting it to go. <laughs> See, Tavor knows. He, he was being too silent in the group chat. For to not go in this direction. Well, spoiler I'm more of an optimist. No Y-Wings. So zero out of five. You got your E-Wings. Yeah, which is not a Y-Wing, but it's it's (sighs) close-ish. You got E-Wing, you got the Eye of Scion. Come on. Which, uh, we're going to talk about that. (laughs) Okay, Devor, give us your rating. So I will do my rating as two separate episodes. Um, And I'm sensing now that I am going to be the only one of the three who will do that. (laughs) Uh, Because I do think you're right that they do kind of blur together and that the sheer fact that they release them together, like means it's hard to talk about them as two separate things. But even so, I will give. Yeah, I, I will rate them separately. I will give the first episode. Let's say. A four, and I'm going to give the second one a 4.5. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to indeed uh, make your conclusions come true, Devor, and rate them together. Uh, because both times I watched them, you know, back to back, and I, I just kind of view them together as as one major story or major piece of the story. And so I... Like, it would be easy for me to rate it a 5 out of 5 because I really did enjoy it. But I do think, like, where we set the bar matters. And I think we have even better stuff to come. Um, So I'm going to go with a a, a comfortable 4 out of 5. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think that's that's probably where I would go if I were to rate them as one thing. Okay. So So what either made the second episode better or the first episode not as good in your estimation? That's a, that's a, that's a good question. I think the second one, I think it, I, I think it did a little bit of a better job of, I, I, I guess doing the kind of like the balancing of the pacing of at the same time, like, giving you the sort of action and moving along, but then also slowing it down where it needed to. Mm. I think the first one, I, I appreciate, one thing that I appreciate across these two episodes is that the pacing is a little bit slower and that we are having these kind of more character moments. Like you think of it particularly in contrast to like the, the Mandalorian, which has a tendency to kind of speed through to, to get to the next plot point. Yeah. Ahsoka is at least... If we assume that, you know, what we have seen is the model for the rest of the show, it has it is going to just it is going to let us marinate with our characters a little bit more, which is good. I think that's important. Uh, I think my impression of the first episode may have also been altered. I said this a little bit in the group chat with just the the effect of having seen a lot of things in the promotional materials, particularly mm. that first opening scene, like so much of it, with the exception of why they were on the New Republic ship, we saw ahead of time. So like some of that stuff may have had more punch if I'd seen it fresh as opposed to having seen it all already. Because you're, you're prime, you're like, okay, you know, the two of them get on the shelf, so you're, you're just sitting there like, you're waiting for the we're no Jedi moment. Like you think, things like that, you know? Because you know they're coming. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, that didn't particularly take anything away for me in those scenes. Um, I actually was, you know, have been saying a lot 
that I'm glad we got so much of the trailers in just this first episode and two episodes. Like, there's definitely moments, like, in in the second episode when the big map comes over the top of them to, to show the way to... Um, I almost said the way to Exegol. It's not the map to Exegol. It's a different map. We'll get into that. Uh, The map to Thrawn. It's not the the map to Octo either. Uh, No, it is not. No. Uh, Is it the plans to destroy the Battle Star? Battles, uh, the Death Star. So many maps. But the the one that comes over them, I think it would be really cool visually if you hadn't seen it before. And it would have been a a wow moment. But again, I, I don't necessarily feel like I lost anything because of that. Like I think there were enough really good moments. Uh, you know, the end of episode one with Sabine stands out to me because like we obviously know, you know, Sabine is not going to die in the first episode of a series where like they've been promoting it as Ahsoka sidekick Sabine, you know, kind of thing. But it was a shocking moment to just say, wow, they're really, they're, they're going for it. You know, like they are, are not just going to do a cookie cutter thing where the heroes win the day. They're going to, uh, to me, you know, it showed that our heroes are going to be vulnerable in this series. And, uh, that's just, I mean, I don't want them to die or anything, but I also don't want them to be God mode where it's just like, yeah, but the heroes will get out. Like I like, knowing that failure is a a possibility for these characters, even though that's not the way I want it to go. Yeah. So drew for you, you were literally half, uh, as excited about this show as, as the rest of us, I guess. (laughs) So what makes it a two out of five for you? What, what, what's dragging it down? Well, I, it's, it kind of started like you were talking about with the promotional material. The more I went back and looked at like the first real trailer that they released, it kind of it, it felt very... We talked about this before, how it, it felt flat, and it felt really sterile. Um, and I can't really put a good finger on it, except that one of the things I noticed in these episodes is that it's starting to suffer from the same Mandalorian, some of the same Mandalorian season three problems where when the characters have a scene on set, they are, there's no interaction with the world around them except for, and it's, it's just, it's such a stark contrast to like Sabine in Ezra's tower. Like you, that place is littered with props. It feels like it's lived in. She's rummaging around for the pieces of her armor. I think in the second episode, feels like she lives there feels like she belongs feels like this is a story that's being that's happening and that we just happen to get to watch but everything with ahsoka and with hera and a lot of the secondary characters feels very much like they're on a 10 foot by 10 foot square in the middle of the volume there's all this world that's spinning around them on the screens and whatnot that we get to see but nobody sits in a chair nobody you know, picks up and shuffles a stack of papers. Nobody has to move a box out of the way. It just doesn't, it feels so disconnected and, and, and flat. And it lacks that life that some of the other shows were able to do. But again, when we talked about Mandalorian season three, especially when they landed on planet Mandalore itself, they happen to land on this planet that's shown to be scarred and craggy and rock filled they landed on the perfectly glass flat one area left and it's exactly where they needed to go and i think it's just a reliance on the same kind of that volume technology that makes it feel so 
literally flat, like in both structure, like what they're standing on, but also just in visual approach, it doesn't look any different anymore. Now, having said that, there are definitely things in these shows that I did enjoy. So don't get me wrong about that. But, but, and we'll get to those in a little bit, but the, the flatness was the first thing that stuck out. The second thing that stuck out is, again, and this is the Obi-Wan Kenobi problem for me, the, re- the repetition of the same kind of devices from entry to entry to entry. And we joke about already how there have been maps to things that people have had to hunt and track down three or four times in major Star Wars releases, and that's the crux of Ahsoka's journey here at the beginning of things. I, I, is there no other storytelling device anyone can come up with besides here's a map, I don't know how to use it? It's literally what kicked off the Disney franchise. Yeah, like, I mean, it, it, it was <laughs> come Disney on. and, you know, it with, or excuse me, it was Force Awakens. Force then Awakens, we, Rise right. of Skywalker. Yep. Like, it's yep. the same kind of device of like, okay, you found this, this sphere in what Elsbeth calls a thousand-year-old map room, essentially, which is also taken straight from Indiana Jones. We're not gonna. We're just gonna skip right over the fact that it's the exact same approach as the opening to Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's a thousand-year-old tomb with the map in the middle of it that miraculously is gonna point people to something that happened ten years ago. What? <laughs> Yeah, and, and no one had the foresight to look at the sphere and go, hmm, these look like concentric circles that are broken up because the pieces are misaligned. I wonder what might happen if I, I don't know, twist them a little bit. Let's take it to the... Yeah, it's, it's, it's resolved way too quickly. Yes, it's resolved way too <laughs> quickly. Well, okay, so here's it's, the thing. It's one of those, like, the, the solution is so simple that it's all the people who have all the expertise are, are too smart ahead of the actual solution, you know? Yes, but I think like. something that I noticed, you know, uh, watching it a second time last night is she turns the first one three times, the second one two times, and the last one one time. So I wonder if maybe, like, this is not saying that it's a good uh, solve for this issue of we've got too many maps and they just had to twist the thing. But I think there was some thought behind it with the three figures, and I'm, I'm wondering if that's going to connect later on, if we get world between worlds or some connection to Mortis or something like that, if that three, two, one is going to have any relevance, I think if it, if it doesn't have any relevance later on, then it just seems like, yeah, we didn't even try here. Not, if, it doesn't, yeah. And, and the, the, I, I hate to tell you, but the likelihood of these things really going to be being fleshed out further on in the show, I don't think has a very high percentage chance of happening. I would agree. I, really I would, I would honestly agree. Yeah. Okay. So it, it, it goes back to that, you know, the dagger, you know, Ochi of Bestoon's Sith dagger, which miraculously points to the Death Star 2 wreckage, which the Death Star 2 wasn't even a thing when the dagger was designed and developed. So it, it's, it's another one of like several different things. You know, the opening sequence of episode one here where um, Balin and Shin is, I think. Yes. yes. Shin Hati. His dark Padawan's name. Um basically give the same I am no Jedi and then it's a hallway scene with lightsabers and blasters. I know Star Wars has a thing for hallways and blasters and lightsabers but again, we've been through this before. Is there no other way we can introduce the power of the bad guys than a hallway scene? Uh, It's really, really concerning how much of this is just kind of 
borrowed and begged from other entries and, and kind of recycled in this new way. How much of that do you think has to do with the idea of general audiences and trying to get the general audiences to stick around in something that they are comfortable and familiar with rather than pushing things in new directions? I mean, it would be one thing if we hadn't been doing this since The Phantom Menace, though. Like, the, the entire opening sequence is basically an inversion of Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan on the Trade Federation ship. Like, they're, they're going in, you know, Obi-Wan and, and Qui-Gon go in on their diplomatic mission, but they're met by a duplicitous group of people. And in the opposite one, the New Republic security forces are out to meet a duplicitous group of people who end up engaged in this combat, and they storm down these hallways and whatnot. So it's, it's just kind of like... I understand to a degree how there's there's nothing new under the sun, and then how, you know, if you look on a long enough timeline, the same ideas are going to crop up over and over and over again. But you can't tell me nobody in 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 the production team here looked at what they wanted to do and say this sounds oddly familiar from two and three things that I feel like we just did. So if your question is like audience entry into the thing i mean that's what the opening crawl is for which was an interesting way to use the opening crawl this time it was i like the way we're kind of iterating on that because that's a different thing that's a relatively unique star wars tool you know when we have we have a new hope in 77 kind of kicking it off it's the way in which we know a star wars movie is beginning right you know, Rogue One is kind of the only one that doesn't do it. Even Solo had its own take on that kind of thing. And using it here gives us kind of that direct connection, even though it's, you know, it's over top an image instead of just a star field. It slowly scrolls up like that and, and not at an angle. It's in red, which is kind of kind of concerning. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not a huge... I, I like what the crawl contained, um, and I like that they, they brought it in. Um, mm-hmm. it's, I thought that was one of the best crawls we've seen in a long time. Yeah, it, it was like, more... I didn't like it coming straight up like that. Like, it would have been... I, I would have liked it a little more um, if, you know, it was your classic Star Wars, you know, on an angle, going away from you... Um, crawl but instead of of having it in yellow you know you had it in red um maybe you had like a slightly different font or something like that and i understand they want to keep that special for uh you know the the episodic moves and and at at the same time that i wish it was different i'm fine with it how it is uh it didn't really take a lot away from me uh it I, i mean i love how they presented the story they gave you really the main background knowledge that you needed um, at least for these first two episodes, we'll see if you know it's enough of background knowledge for um, what we get in the future. You know, when Anakin mm-hmm. comes in and and whatever other things we may end up getting. Uh, <laughs> oh, you're planting that flag pretty strongly, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm bringing it. Um, those expectations reasonably, friend. I know it's so hard. It's so it's hard. Very difficult. And yeah. I I honestly feel relatively speaking, I've been able to keep it together for Ahsoka. Like, I've been very, very excited, but I I, I know how far off the deep end I could have gone. <laughs> and and I think I, I have a pretty level head considering my passion for this 
character in this is mm-hmm. particular show uh, because yeah, I mean, I, I loved this episode or these episodes. I think what they did to set up the the rest of the storytelling was really great. I agree, Devor, totally with uh, your discussion about the pacing. You know, it was it was almost oddly frustrating because it was like we have so much to cover in such a short span of time, and we're taking two, <laughs> you know, an hour and a half to cover, you know, two things. But really, when I came back and watched it the second time and I thought about it all today, I really like that we got that. I really like that they are building up particularly the tension between Ahsoka and Sabine and how little they're giving you about their history right now. Like, I think we're going to get a lot of that uh, throughout. But, you know, we, we get the allusions to, you know, that she was a former apprentice of Ahsoka. But then you've got Hu Yang giving us that little bit of, well, you don't really have the force. And that so was weird. Yeah, it was really cool. Yeah. And, and I like when they give us, you know, like it's kind of a felony thing to, you know, give us one or two major things per episode that like you're supposed to cling on to. And I feel like, you know, we got probably got more than that because he's working in a 45 minute format instead of a 22 minute format. But it's very clear, like, all right, cool. These are the major things that we need to focus on. And then throughout there, you've got, um, you know, awesome references and connections and, and stuff like that. Uh, so yeah, that, that just stood out to me in terms of the Ahsoka Sabine relationship and, and how they're parsing out that information as we go. Yeah, I'd be really curious to see kind of how that happened. What what convinced Ahsoka to want to take on Sabine as some kind of an apprentice? Um, like, what is that motivating factor? Because clearly it broke down Ahsoka's approach to training at all after that. Because she refuses yeah. to talk. You know, like, she doesn't even like talking to Grogu at a certain point. Yeah. Because she's afraid of engendering some kind of attachment. So... What in the world is the story with the two of those? And I'm, I, I don't know, Brandon. You say you're, you're excited about the little drips of information that you get from episode to episode. I find myself extremely frustrated that it wasn't the focus of the first hour and a half of this show. Is the main relationship between these two characters like what? 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 <laughs> Come on, man! It's like watching Sam and Frodo leave the Shire, but not realizing they're best friends and having grown up together. We spend 20 minutes with them on the Shire. Yeah, but I mean, I, I, I think you will be right to be frustrated if they don't give us more. That's but true. Yeah. I think this, this is, is supposed to. Peeves. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think this is supposed to drive the audiences forward. And, and for us, you know, who have known these characters for multiple years, it can be kind of frustrating because we want it all right now. But. I've been thinking a lot with this show, particularly about like general audiences and how are they going to get across, you know, the, the four seasons of rebels, you know, what are they going to take to, to bring into this story and how are they going to get people to understand and have context? You know, it might not be as deep as, as the three of us, but how are they going to have enough context to understand and move them forward in the Mm -hmm. story and make them want to come back for more? Because you don't have, Grogu, you don't have, you know, the name Boba Fett, you don't have the name Kenobi driving the show forward. And so it's it's kind of in an Andor type situation in that like the big Star Wars fans are are in it and 
you know, I, I was, I was laughing because like people I work with and my students and stuff know Ahsoka is like my favorite character. And so coming in on, on Wednesday, people were like, Oh, did you know that they have a new Ahsoka show out? Like of your favorite character? <laughs> I was like, no. I was like, and I was, I was, I didn't want to be rude to anybody cause they were trying to be nice. And I was like, yeah, I was, I was up this morning watching it. Uh, but it's like, <laughs> what's going to get those people who are just finding out now that Disney plus is putting, you know, banners on there with the Ahsoka series that this is coming out. What's going to keep them wanting to come back for more. And I think that this, ep- these two episodes do a nice job of making you go, okay, who is Thrawn and, and why we know we he they want him back because he's going to you know be able to bring back the empire but what makes him the guy to do it and then also what's going on with ahsoka and sabine and why is that so such a contentious relationship um when it's two people who clearly have the same goal and i think uh, very subtly the two actresses did a good job of showing that these two characters care about each other like there's there's a detachment between the two but i read it as a detachment because both of them are are both apprehensive about getting hurt again you know um ahsoka particularly you know being the title character i think she's afraid of hurting ahsoka and then or excuse me of of hurting sabine but then also hurting herself you know cuz she has this string of, of walking away from people, this history of walking away from people mm-hmm. when things, you know, have gotten tough. And I think that that's something that ha- they, she has to have a reckoning about, you know, to, to grow as a character. One of the things that I, I have a, a bit of a struggle with, at least in these first two episodes, is they're both sort of related to actually Ahsoka. And that is one of them is that I feel like of all of the characters that we have gotten and the storylines and the, the hinted past or like hinted motivations, despite this being a show called Ahsoka thus far, Ahsoka is the character I am least interested in. (laughs) Everybody else is more compelling than she is at this moment. (laughs) And then the second thing is, and we can kind of circle back to that, but... Are we including uh, Ryder, Zadi, and Jaikel and people in that... (laughs) Just for clarification. (laughs) Like, central characters. I am much more invested in the the day-to-day life of what happens when uh, the Mandalorian visits Lothal to see Sabine, and he runs into Clancy Brown. Is like, wait a minute. Didn't I already kill you when you were Red Deveronian like two years ago? (laughs) (laughs) And then Andy Serkis comes in as a third character and is like, yes, ah, got him again. Only one way out, boys. <laughs> oh my god. Sorry. What was your what was your other grief besides the fact that Ahsoka is the least interesting character in her own show? Yeah, is the second one is a, again, and I'm just sort of evaluating this up to the point of the material that we have right now. Like I cannot speak to anything that might happen. Is, I am still not sold on Rosario's Ahsoka. I'm still not jiving with it. Like, again, personally. Like, it's still not... And I mean, some of it could be a mixture of... I mean, the fact that, like, Rosario and Ashley are two fundamentally different people. And, like, you know, people are unique. And they're going to bring their own performances and their own styles and everything like that. So uh, there's that element. And uh, I can't can't disentangle how much, like, it's that part that it's, like, it's just a different person. And therefore, you're going to get something different. 
and there's no way around that versus the like how much of this is intentional direction like how much of this is a behind the scenes factor that she's being told to portray a character in a certain fashion mm. and like right, right, she is being told that like she is given she is being co- given context that we don't know that is mm. motivating the particular portrayal but i'm just like it, it's a struggle because like on the one hand you know this is a, an older Ahsoka, like she's not going to be the kind of snippy Clone Wars Ahsoka, and she's not even the snippy Clone Wars Ahsoka really in <laughs> Rebels when we get her back. But even in Rebels, where you know she does have a little bit more of that kind of older and wiser and more sage quality, there's still the there's still the the Ashley Eckstein warmth there. Yes. There's still some of that like scrappiness and spunkiness to her character, and. I'm seeing flickers of that in the Rosario portrayal of Ahsoka, but I'm also missing a lot of it. I, I would, I'm going to agree because even just down to something simple as like the blocking direction, like stand here, do this with your hands. All of her scenes boil down to like, if, if she's not participating in action, like combat, running away from explosions, swinging lightsabers, she's standing still. She crosses her arms. She uncrosses her arms. She looks around. She crosses her arms again. Like you forgot, she, she oddly be- holds her arm out for like four or five extra <laughs> that seconds. That was such That's a true. weird That's shot. True. That was like, so weird. <laughs> like it's just like hanging there. It's like it's like she was waiting for the cue to put it down, and the guy was like at lunch. <laughs> he like looked down at his phone. He was like, "Oh shoot, down." Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, uh cut. <laughs> no, it's like when when like when I tend to move my elbow in a certain direction and it locks up, I have to kind of like pop it out and stick my arm out for three or four seconds. It's like her arm just went numb for a minute. She has to get the blood flowing again. <laughs> I don't understand what her It was weird. It was get. really weird. I, it's very strange because you're right. She doesn't have the same kind of warmth and life that the, the that her animated um, per edition absolutely had. But even in like the episode she appears in in Mandalorian when she's talking with Luke about stuff. You can tell she's thinking about her answers. She's listening to what Luke is saying. I have no indication that this Ahsoka is listening to what anybody else is talking about at the same time. But I hear what I think the problem is, the difference is, I wonder if this is like a COVID restriction filming issue. Mm. Because there's a number of scenes, especially when it's in like... I don't remember exactly which scene it was, but maybe it might have been like when Sabine and no, 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 Ahsoka and Hera are speaking with each other. One character says their line. The camera cuts to the other person. They stop for two seconds. They say their line. The camera cuts back to the other person. They stop for two seconds. They answer. They're not being filmed on the same set. Like they're clearly being filmed at two different times and they're being edited together to actually have a conversation. None of these guys have anybody to talk to. And it's kind of the same thing when you go back to like the problem with uh, the Hobbit movies, where Ian McKellen, um, playing the role of Gandalf, is filming all of his scenes on green screen and isn't interacting with another human being at all in any of his scenes. And you can tell that the life of his performance gets completely sucked out of it because he's got nothing to bounce off of. There's no interaction. And a lot of these sequences, if, if you see like the two characters are clearly not together at the same time, is I'm going to bet that's probably what's going on behind the scenes. 
Well, that's interesting when you compare it to uh, like what happens in Last Jedi with the the Force Skype, right? Because there you have two characters that are are supposed to be separated, but are actually right. together because they yeah. had the actors film those scenes together. Like Daisy Ridley is on the other side of the camera, you know, Adam Driver's on. So that way, they had something to bounce off of, and mm-hmm. yeah. I... As far as Ahsoka and, and the portrayal, there, they, yeah, you guys nailed it on the head. There's a difference in the warmth that Ashley Eckstein brings versus Rosario Dawson, and I mean, there, there's a difference in their personality. Like Rosario Dawson is awesome. I, I love her. She really cares about this character. That's very, very clear. But just as a person, she's not as bubbly and, and excitable as Ashley. Like this, she just has a more mellow vibe to her and that kind of plays out in the character but i also wonder if again like we just don't have enough information yet and that 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 distance is going to be intentional because she's Mm -hmm. been hurt a lot lately you know uh some by her own choices absolutely but also you know feeling like she let down uh anakin and the you know betrayal she feels about him becoming vader and her inability to you know commit herself to fight another war on the front and and how did we talked about this on on our one of our last episodes uh previewing ahsoka like how does she feel about the fact that she didn't actually like go on the front lines you know uh that she she wasn't there leading troops like does she feel regret about that and so I almost wonder if she is intentionally distancing herself from people in order to either not allow the those emotions in, which, I mean, come on, denying your emotions, like the top Jedi quality, or, <laughs> you know, if she's trying to not be the person that hurts somebody else again. like Yeah, it, it, absolutely. Like, should this be a specific decision and will be addressed later on could absolutely work a hundred percent it totally could so we'll give them the freedom to say that but man oh man i think if you boil down a lot of our conversations tonight they all end with the same thought of well maybe we'll get more about this later and the more times that particular explanation is what we have to rely on to accept the things that we have as as good the less likely it's going to work. Like that is going to be diminishing returns every single time. And that's kind of, again, to circle way back around to the beginning, why I gave it the, the rating that I did is just because uh, a lot of that goodwill has already been spent. Yeah. I mean, that's like, valid. I don't know. No Y wings. Zero <laughs> out of five. <laughs> I don't necessarily agree completely with you. No one cares about those. And home one. Dude, yeah. Home One was a beautiful. <laughs> Come yeah. on, give it its props. Absolutely. So one thing that I did want to talk about was a character we haven't really delved into much, which is Hera. Because, you know, as much as we talked about Ahsoka kind of maybe feeling a little bit off right now, for me, Hera was spot on. Like, mm. I absolutely loved the portrayal. She had... She had the the motherly attitude to to her. She had the spunk. She had the uh, she's not going to 
you know, lead the horse to water, but she's going to show the horse that there is water to be had and, you know, allow them the time to figure it out. Like everything in the characterization, uh, just absolutely worked for me. And I love that, you know, I, I think one thing I was apprehensive about, about the show is, okay, is, is hair just going to come in as like a side character that's in a couple scenes because we've got to have all the rebels in here. Or is she actually going to do something? And she's doing something. She is, I mean, she's the third, but she's the third, you know, um, yeah. in this in this crew. And for the amount of stuff we got with her in the trailers versus the amount of stuff we got of her in these two episodes, I feel like uh, that's one thing they did not oversell is, is this character. She's just so, she's so good. She works... And it feels like the same character we got in Rebels, but somebody who has grown, somebody who has fought a whole war and has that uh, both that confidence, but also understands that pain of fighting a war. We have, you know, uh, I'm sure we're going to get more of it. We talked about this uh, last time of Jason Sindula, like she's raised a kid uh, or is raising a kid during this time and stuff. So I drew... Maybe, yeah. That or, I mean, she's at least paying somebody to raise the kid for him. <laughs> oh, you're presuming he's still alive. Okay, cool. Oh, yes, yes. Okay, so we're not even playing the same game. I got it. All right. So, Devor, how did you... Still no confirmation she has ears, by the way. Also true. There could just be, like, holes in the side of her head. We don't know. We don't know. And I doubt we will because it would be really hard to, like, make that prosthetic stay on without something covering it. But... Devor, yeah. Head tails aside, how are you feeling about Hera? <laughs> yeah, I like her portrayal of it. I think you're right. Like, she really does nail it. Like the the Hera of it all really does come through, particularly in the character act interactions. Like her and Chopper on the Phantom Two, perfect. Mm-hmm. Like a- absolutely great. Her and Sabine when Sabine is recovering in the hospital room also really good when they just have their own one-on-one moment like also really good yeah I, I think i think she has done a good job of yeah that blend of the the rebel warrior slash general and then the like slash space mom part of harem i mean in general for me like over these two episodes so far it is natasha lubert as well as sabine who has been the show stealer oh so but she has been the best good. like heads and tails above Yes. Which is not to, which is not a knock on Mary Elizabeth Winstead as Hera, but or yeah, her I, head I, tails. <laughs> <sighs> See, it was cute when you did the throw to him, but that no. Oh. Sorry, bud. C plus. Try again. Apply yourself. Hey, that's still better rating than you gave the show. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. See, you're just recycling the same thing, though. It's the problem. I'm I'm afraid for you. Sorry, we interrupted divorced. <laughs> But yeah, no, I I like what she's done. I and I I think this has been I think these first two episodes, I think hopefully for folks have done a lot to kind of because there you know people did have their concerns about like the translation of Hera from animation to live action, and I feel like at least from my point of view, I think these first two episodes did quite a bit to allay some of those anxieties. They certainly did for me. They certainly did because I I I did. Ha- with all of these characters, I had trepidations about their conversion over just because these characters in particular have meant so much to me. You know, it's not 
it's not mall going from live action to animation and like, are they going to be able to make that work? Cause I really like, you know, the way mall looks and, and just that whole, uh, you know, design of that character and not so much. I love the character himself. Right. Uh, which I do now, but when he came into the story, we didn't have a bunch of mall. Like he was big in the movie, but we didn't have a bunch of other stuff here. We have, hours and hours and hours of content with these characters that we know and and feel like family members to us and and we you know can pick up on their small little cues you know like we would a best friend those kind of things are they going to translate over and i I think both hera and sabine it just it's perfect like to me sabine even more so like sabine is the best part of the show so far, like yes. just her her overall story and arc and that freaking entrance on the bike with the yep. rock music. Like, <laughs> I just want an entire album of that. Uh, it was amazing. So it just, all, that all really works for me. Drew, like Hera, Sabine, how are you feeling about the way that these two have, have converted over, but also just, just what they're doing in this two episodes? I think they they did fine. I think they were great. They definitely beat expectations, like you said, about how well that was going to translate from animation to the live action characterization. It's it's interesting how the they have enough of the animation version characterization, and yet they they're not simply just that. Like yeah. I feel, especially with Sabine, I think Sabine comes out stronger because I feel like I understand why her character behaves the way she does, even though it's not the same thing as the character from Rebels, right? Mm-hmm. You know, she's involved, but she doesn't really want to be. You know, She skirts her responsibility for the celebration. Um, she's just kind of been burned by she wants to do good. She's done the right thing by asking for help. She's participated as part of a team. And it hasn't worked out for her. And we get that vibe. And we understand that is where she's at. We may not understand how it happened and whatnot, but I think it's very easy to see the connectivity between when we last saw her at the end of Rebels to where we, we pick up with her today. I think that she, her characterization is probably the most interesting so far of, of um, non-original characters. She's probably yeah. going to be number one. Hera, I really liked. I was surprised to see her in the same kind of like brown leather jacket and orange pants as the as the cartoon. I really thought that a New Republic general would probably have a little bit more of like the fleet uniform with her own flair would be fine. And maybe she'll get something going on when she ha- when she ha- commands her own starship or something like that. So I was a little surprised that they used the exact same like almost model, right? Yeah, um, and, this and is her, Star Wars. No one changes clothes. Yeah, well, only Padme changes clothes. <laughs> Beat me to it. Now, how are they going to sell new toys of Hera if she's wearing the same outfit, though? Um, I mean, even I mean, they do it with the clone troopers all the time. Oh, don't get me started on those guys. Come on, um, on those like, guys. Those guys. Come on. That's how you know I'm getting frustrated is when the Jersey accent comes out. <laughs> um, but like Sabine's armor, there's like little changes in the like, especially I think in, in the, the shoulder pieces, the pauldrons where somebody was pointing this out online where at the end of season four, it had a picture of Ahsoka's owl. Yeah, Morai. Yeah. But now when she's assembling her armor, it's been replaced by an outline of a pergol. 
Yeah. So you can oh, kind of track. There's development there. She's kind of changed who she is. Even though she's the same person, she's definitely not the, in the same spot that she was in before. But it's it's good to see that. But again, of the recurring characters, the returning characters, probably better description. She's she, Sabine's number one. Harris number two. Yeah. No Zeb. No Zeb. No Zeb yet. After I, I, we've seen him, he's probably just still chilling on that little uh, cantina on the. Yeah, he's just waiting for Hot Callus to come home. Exactly. <laughs> Gross. Um, so I, I did want to ask you guys about the armor because she's not wearing the armor when we start the show. Like, she doesn't put it on until the end of the second episode. And we knew even before Mandalorian uh, what the Mandalorian armor meant to these characters because Sabine told us, like she talked about how it had been passed down through generations and modified to, to you know, her liking and stuff, and then it gets expanded on in the Mandalorian when we have so much with the armor and and just the history of the armor and what it all means to them and what it represents, and then we get to Sabine and she's not wearing her Mandalorian armor and doesn't put it on until the end. And that just kind of, I mean, it shook me a little bit in terms of, okay, what happened that made her, like, it's one thing to have her, you know, have trained to be a, you know, air quotes Jedi, whatever that's going to mean for Sabine. Um, But it's another thing to have her, like, have taken her Mandalorian armor off, like, that's her her people, her culture, something she cared about and believed in so much, and she's abandoned it. Like I'm just interested in that aspect. Yeah, I I mean, again, you know, this goes back to to some degree to, to a motif that we've been talking about in terms of you know the context of how much do we know now versus things we may learn later. Like some of this may get informed by things that we learn as the season goes on. But yeah, you're right. Like, I mean, it does seem to at least signal, you know, her kind of stepping away from the fight for a while. And she's just kind of existing on, on this planet. And she's sort of removed herself from what is going on in the wider galaxy. And then her kind of putting the armor back on at some point. Like I think about like in some ways a parallel is, you know, the beginning of Obi-Wan Kenobi where he has the little like John Wick moment where he goes in the desert and like unearths the lightsaber. Like that being like you you put away this thing and you putting it away is this symbol of like there was a type of life and particularly there was a wider kind of galactic struggle you are now distancing yourself from. But now it has kind of come back to you and you have to go back <laughs> into the fight. And like that's what happened because she puts on the armor after you know having the fight with Shin and all of that and that realization of like well like I, I have been keeping myself I'm at arm's length from you know the wider galaxy from all these things that are happening but now those events have come back to me and I now need to get back involved. Yeah, I think it was like you said that it's that fight that really sold it because she tried to stop the fight using what little Jedi training she had and realized it was of no use to her and so she returned to what she knew. Like what had served her well in the past. She was uh you might say she buries hatchets but keeps maps to where she puts them. So <laughs> they should put that in a song. <laughs> <laughs> 
I know. I'm just, I just, you know, somebody write these down. But I think it really could make billions off of it. That (laughs) it's true. Could go on tour. Be amazing. Um, It really, I think it, it does because the fight's over for her. Like the war was over. And even when we think back to like the text of the crawl, says that Thrawn is dead. He's presumed to be dead. They're gone. There's, there's no more searching for Ezra because he's just, it's not a thing. He's dead. He and Thrawn just never survived. They're jumped out of hyperspace. And, and so she doesn't have a fight to fight anymore. And so she's able to put off, you know, literally to take the armor off and put it in a box on a shelf. And Ooh. when she realizes that there's actually more that can be done, then I think she's willing to get it down again. See, I don't think she took it off because there's not a fight to fight anymore. Because, I mean, Mandalorians, you know, have, keep their armor on, like, all the time. It's like their one outfit. And to me, I read it more as her just, I mean tired of being hurt you know like she was hurt by her family she was you know let down and abandoned by them like they reconciled but the pain of what happened is still real and still there she had this you know family in rebels that has essentially disbanded and she's you know kind of stuck there on lothal i think she's starting to feel that way and then you have Ahsoka, who's trying to bring her into this Jedi family, and maybe I don't know, creating a new kind of Jedi order of of just people trying to do good instead of people who are you know force sensitive necessarily. Whatever the intentions were there, but she gets you know abandoned by that, and so. I read that, you know, combined with what we get in the beginning of her not really wanting to engage in the culture on Lothal, or the celebration, rather, on Lothal, even though she is such a big part of the culture and, and the the history there, and she's separating herself from that. And so I read that taking off of the Mandalorian armor and even the putting down of the lightsaber as a, like, I'm tired of being hurt. I'm tired of people letting me down because she... Sabine, one of the things that makes her such an endearing character is she puts her whole self into everything she does. Like, she doesn't halfway do anything. And to put yourself so far into things and to continually get hurt. Like, I didn't even mention how she, you know, put so much energy into creating uh, the Duchess, thinking the Empire, you know, was just doing experiments and being let down there like it's not a shock for us as the audience but it was a shock for her and that's going to leave emotional scars there and so i think her putting the armor back on then becomes a a way for her to say all right i'm you know you nailed it on the head i'm getting back in the fight but not just the actual physical fight uh so much as i'm willing to take the risk of getting hurt again to do right by the ones that I love. And there's a line uh, that Ahsoka says, where she says, sometimes even the right choices have the wrong consequences. What do we do then? And I, I'm i wondering if that's going to end up applying to Sabine. You know, if she is, she's going to do the right thing again and get hurt again. And what is... I don't think we're going to get her, like, turning to the dark side or anything. But is that going to be one of the uh, kind of internal driving forces for her is wrapping her head around. I'm, I did the right thing again and I got hurt again. Like 
what do I do to stop this pattern? Hmm. Interesting. So let's go ahead and then and uh, uh, jump into the the bad guys because yeah. Oh my god, I loved I loved <laughs> everything with them. Like I I really did. Like as excited as I was going in about you know Hera and Sabine and all of them, like the the bad guys really stole the show here for me. Like how are you guys <laughs> feeling about them? Yeah, I mean it, it is it's quite the rogues gallery that we have of you know the night the the Dathomirian Night Sister, the ex Jedi mercenary and his apprentice, the ex Jedi ex Inquisitor. <laughs> Uh, yeah, like this is quite the the motley crew here that that have come together, and I think you're absolutely right. I think it's it, you know it's really interesting, like you know the background of these characters, like what are their motivations. I mean, you sort of from a kind of surface level, you understand you know Morgan Elsbeth in the sense of that, like she like she used to you know work with slash for Thrawn and so you kind of <laughs> see her motivation for for wanting to bring him back but it's like what about what about Balin and Shin like why are like why are they so invested in this yeah. what what's Morak's deal <laughs> what's he up to uh you know so yeah and I mean I you know Brandon you and I were talking about this like uh, uh, how I had talked about just from the promotional materials about like how how interesting and compelling I found the character of Balance Skull. And I think these first two episodes definitely add to that. I mean, like, you know, the function, of course, of, you know, the late Ray Stevenson's performance, I think, is really good. I think even, like, the big moment that, you know, has stuck out to me from from him in these first two episodes is towards the end of the second episode. Maybe it's the, like, the, I think it's actually in the last scene of the second episode when they're on the giant, like, hyper ring thing and you know morgan is talking about how like ahsoka is after us and we need to kill her and he has this almost like wistful consternation about having to kill us like it's like there's not a lot of jedi like it's a bummer like he's talking about her like she's some exotic animal that's like on the brink of extinction it's like mm. if we lose her like there's not many left like that was really that, that that was a reaction that i was not like i would have expected the kind of just you know steel cold like yeah like she's in our way she's an obstacle we have to kill her. and he's like I, I wish we didn't have to but i guess we do like that's so interesting like i want to know so much more about him he's got that vibe of of there's he's a mercenary but there's more there like he he has a a driving force other than just money yeah, I, I, I'm going to echo the kind of the same sentiment of that's probably the most interesting uh, in terms of, oh, I didn't expect this, and I'm intrigued to understand it more, moment of both episodes, really, is that, well, it'd be a shame if we have to. Like, you can tell that there's actual regret. Like, he has respect for Ahsoka um, and doesn't really, he doesn't consider her an enemy more than probably just as an obstacle. But clearly, there's more than just the mercenary background for these two guys at play. Because when he's explaining to to Shin about why it's important to get thrown, it's like he's after power, power like you wouldn't believe or have never been able to understand, or some 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 ultimate description of of power, some indeterminate n amount of power, whatever that means. So clearly, there's something more to him than just doing it for the credits. 
and he's he's in league with Elspeth more than he is an underling. So yeah. I, that makes it interesting to me that he's got this level of respect and, and he's not he's not out to do like the da- the Darth Maul, you know, at last we will reveal ourselves through the Jedi, at least at last we will have our revenge. It's nothing petty and mustache twirling like that, you know. Rest in peace, General Grievous, the ultimate mustache twirler. <laughs> but he's got more going like he feels more mature, more responsible, more more adult like he's he feels like a grown-up <laughs> yeah in a, in a show that in a series spawned from a kid's animated cartoon show he feels like the grown-up in the room and he's a fascinating grown-up so we'll see and even elspeth was really interesting i'm not sold on the whole dathomir witch thing because i feel like that would have been important when ahsoka fought her way back in the day yeah it does feel like an addition yeah, kind of a, yeah. a characteristic of convenience. Like, how are we going to explain this weird galaxy map thing without using the world between worlds? Uh, well, we've got these Sith witches over here. We haven't done anything within a while. All right, let's try that. See how it goes. I really, it was. I was kind of hoping after watching the episode, like they could have used any one of those cults from the High Republic Phase Two Battle of Jeddah era kind of thing where they had like those mm. five different groups of force users come together for the conclave and and some of them are good and some of them are bad and some of them are really really evil so i was like all right we're gonna go dathomir witches again all right that's- she's a brother of the ninth door yeah <laughs> big missed opportunity interesting what if instead of three faces on the walls it was nine doors people will be like wait <laughs> a second She's got this this strange, uh, distorted vocal pattern that she uses for some strange reason that she didn't have in the last time we saw her. <laughs> yeah, so, hey, she, well, let's stop it on this she, time. She gets busted out of prison. She just randomly puts on a mask and was like, what? <laughs> like, excuse me? Exactly. She has a that's vocabulator wrapped around her like an authorian, just like... Oh, that's what it is. She pulls off her fake face mm-hmm. and it reveals all this stuff underneath. That's what it is. That's what it is. That's no. never been done in a movie before either, so that's cool. <laughs> That's no, really cool. it definitely it's it's a weird thing. Um, I wonder how much of it has to do with this whole like we're bringing Thrawn back homage to the expanded universe kind of thing, you know, because that's where Witches of Dathomir first came up. It is courtship of Princess Leia, I think, right? Because they weren't mentioned in Heir to the Empire. That's the original, but I mean, they've been canonized since then. Yes, absolutely. But you know. There's, yeah, even bigger than than they were in the books uh, back in the day. But true, here they, you know, you've got Thrawn coming back and and everything. And so, I wonder how much of that was like cool. Let's we this. Yes, it would be convenient, but also it would be a cool way to pay respect to you know the creators that came before. I'm just guessing. I have no idea on that, but. There what was I, a weird, there's a weird tension I had because especially in like Mando season two when we first met the character and she's facing off against Ahsoka, she's kind of coded as that Shogun character who's mm-hmm. running yeah. the, the, the Japanese temple. And now to give them ancient mystic powers like that feels a little tropey to me. Um, so I wasn't thrilled about that. But I mean, I guess we get more force user action involved. And so, all right, whatever. But just want to make sure, I at least wanted to say it out loud. It's like, I'm not really sure that it's super comfortable. Yeah, that's 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 valid. I do want to go back to Ray Stevenson, though, because you guys talked about the moments that really stood out to you. And for me, the moment that stood out with him that really, 
I don't know exactly why it sent me over the top with this character, but it's that moment when he's just there standing. It's it's right after what you talked about, Drew, where he's talking about the power, and he sends Shin to uh, to Lothal. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he just he just looks up very slowly out to where the map was pointing to, where the you know the distant galaxy is is going to be. And to me, that was just such a a simple way to show like he's got something else brewing like i definitely don't think he's you know mustache twirling like you were saying drew but there's more to this character than just wanting you know to be well paid he's up to something and i don't think that that something includes morgan elsbeth like i don't think <laughs> she is a particularly a part of his uh end game if you will so I'm excited about that. How are you guys feeling about the the idea of another galaxy? Because this is like mm. more or less the first time we've gotten it in Star Wars. Because correct me if I'm wrong, I'm, I might be mistaken in this, but the unknown regions and stuff has always been considered a part of the galaxy. Yes, right. So the unknown regions is a part of the galaxy. It's okay. not yet been explored, but there have been intergalactic invaders before. So that's interesting. The Yuuzhan Vong, right? Yes. Okay, okay. Come from an outside galaxy, and, and, and the whole... Has anybody read Rogue Planet lately? <laughs> Not no. Not there's a good reason to, because it's no. terrible. But. So, do you guys know what Zenoma Sakat is? If I say it, that, nope. does that ring anything is that the Is that the planet? Yes, that's the planet. Okay. So, Devor, let me... Uh, you know the expanded universe gets up to some shenanigans from time to time. Yeah. What if I told you there is a force-sensitive and sentient planet named Zenoma Sakat that could travel between galaxies? <laughs> and what if I told you that planet was... Spoiler alert for a series of books that ended 20 years ago, by the way. Um, that planet was the home planet of the Yuuzhan Vong and it took the force with it and abandoned the species on a different planet, which is why the Yuzhan Vong cannot be sensed in the force. By the way, the Yuzhan Vong can't be sensed in the force, but if you didn't know that either. <laughs> I love those books. They're great. I really don't want to see them anymore on the, t on the screen. I'm really concerned. I don't know, guys. I used to be a big fan and think that would be a great idea. I'm kind of struggling with it now. I don't want it to be them. Yeah, it's. Uh, I've been thinking about that too. It is an interesting door that they have opened from this standpoint, because, like, you know, as we just mentioned, and you know, as Drew talked about, like, there is a kind of legends precedent for you know these extragalactic threats that come in and you know wreak havoc on the Star Wars galaxy, and it seems like they are at least potentially possibly gesturing or setting up something to do you know in in yeah. terms of this like this extra galactic possibility the challenge for them in the in any kind of storytelling is that they are hemmed in by the sequel trilogy That's so there's only so true. much you can do like you can't say like Oh, and you know the you know the Empire fell in the New Republic, and we have a First Order. Oh, and by the way, we have these extragalactic invaders, and they caused a war. And like, yeah, that was kind of weird. Like, anyway, yeah, we, First we, Order. We got, we got through it in like six months. It was totally cool. Yeah. So like, you can't do any of that. So then the options are like, well, what can you do with that? Like, well, you could say, okay, you know, we know that there is at least some t 
talk slash development of a post Rise of Skywalker movie. Maybe this is set up for something for that. Mm. Maybe this is a vehicle to explain why certain characters aren't around in the sequel trilogy era. Like maybe, you know, in the context of the fight and defeat of Thrawn, like there is a realization of this other dawning threat and there are one or more characters are like, we need to go out and deal with that over there. And that is why we don't see them later on. Maybe. We don't know. But yeah, like it, it, it is an intriguing door that they have opened. But given where this is happening within the larger canon, they I don't see that they have a, a ton of like, they don't have carte blanche to do whatever they want with this. Their options are fairly narrow because otherwise it's like, well, where are the repercussions of, you know, what would be a, a titanic seismic event in galactic history? I mean, it's possible. But then again, we went all the way up to the end of Last Jedi and they were like, uh, uh, Palpatine has returned somehow. So I'm not going to yeah. anything past these guys at this point. It, it, I'm sure it will be worth checking out whenever we get to that kind of a payoff. And it's, it, to me, it doesn't even have to be like... I mean, because what's, what's the logical step there to actually, like, for our characters to take? Let's say they solve the problems with the maps. Everybody who needs a map gets a map. You get a map. You get a map. You get a map. <laughs> they make it to the thing, to the end of the map, where all, like, six lines converge on this one particular planet. They find Thrawn. They find Ezra. Conflict ensue. Some make it out. Some don't. We're going to presume good guys win, bad guys lose. Good guys go home. So that, I feel like, is the, the, the big three-point outline on somebody's wall and you know the episodes are going to get us through that particular flow of information i don't really think start extra galactic war is going to be a bullet point on the outline for this list they'll yeah. make it out there and they'll be like oh man we've found these weird guys whose faces are covered in slashes and they all have cut their noses off it's very strange and that's it you know you'll get the tiniest little bit of an inference of things going out similar to um what is it, Bad Batch, end of season one or two, where they end up on Mount Tannis for all? Yeah, places? yeah. So it's like, that's all you're going to get is literally a headline and no other information. So, you know, they could do something as small as, uh, this planet once was known as Planet XYZ, but the locals call it Zenoma Sakat. You know, cut to black roll credits. And that's it. That's all you're going to hear about it for the next seven years of our lives. So... I don't know. It's definitely like they've given themselves an opportunity to stretch things out, but the likelihood of it actually going anywhere in the next, what, seven episodes? Not super high on my expectation list. I would agree with that. I think I think Ahsoka is a vehicle to kick off the next phase of this Mandoverse that's going to lead to, to Filoni's yes. movie. Like, I think that that is... Yeah, so the I don't think they're assemble kind of thing. Yeah, and I don't. So I don't that think works, we're going to get to episode eight and everything's going to be wrapped up nice and clean. Um, so I could definitely see, I could see a story going where these characters who recognize this extra galactic threat are they remove themselves from the galaxy we know and go there. And so you have the war over there in this other galaxy far, far away. And so then you kind of have a way to explain, kind of explain away why 
those people aren't around in the sequel trilogy, but also why we don't see the impacts of that war in the sequel trilogy. I don't know if I love that idea. A lot of that would go into how it's executed. Um, but when they're at the map, they're, Balin mentions the pathway to Peridia, and it was being a uh, story children of the Jedi Temple talked about, and he calls it fairy tales. And then uh, Morgan Elizabeth says that they're tales which are based on truth, which to me harkens back to Ahsoka's line in Rebels of there's always a bit of truth in legend. Like, Yeah, exactly. Same thing. Yeah. These, yeah. these things are out there, and you know they could be a threat. And we know Thrawn came into the Empire because he thought that strengthening the Empire would be the easiest way to help protect the Chiss Ascendancy because he sensed this threat coming. And so there's a lot of uh, lines pointing towards having something outside of the galaxy come in. Whether they actually do that or not, uh, we'll see. Uh, whether that's actually a, a good thing or not, because I mean, I know Amazing. Drew, you you enjoyed the New Jedi Order books, if I remember correctly. Like you, absolutely, okay, tons of fun. So, and and I've heard both sides. I've heard people who love the use on Vong and enjoy those books, and I've heard people who who aren't fans of it. I personally have no opinion. I haven't read it, um, but I wonder if that's going to be a satisfying ending for people who weren't a fan of it before, either like me, they haven't read it or they haven't heard of it, or they read the new Jedi order books and didn't enjoy the use on Vong. If we do some kind of, whether it's them or not, if we do some extra galactic threat, does that kind of take away like as big and, and expansive as star Wars is and as many planets as it has, there's always a little bit of a comfort in like, this is a contained galaxy and this is home. And if we go beyond that to another galaxy, uh, it becomes okay. But how many ga more galaxies can we go to and how many, and then it just becomes this universal, you know, universe traveling thing like guardians of the galaxy, rather than this story about this one particular galaxy. And I don't know if I want to start pushing that. That's interesting because I feel like we've had that conversation about how many times are we going to go back to flipping Tatooine? Yeah. Like, we've been there. We've done that. And it, so that is an interesting idea of opening up kind of the potential threats because, you know, we've had enough of empires and rebellions in our galaxy here for uh, enough. Like, it just seems to be what we go back to time and time again. Maybe having something that's a little outside of that isn't such a bad idea from a storytelling perspective. If it gives us something new and interesting to kind of latch onto, it'd be fine. You know, as a fan of the New Jedi Order and the, the 19 books that goes into it, like if you <laughs> all the way through, not, if you made it through 19 and you weren't enjoying it, you've got other problems that you need to address. Really, like it's okay to quit on book 17 if you're not enjoying the series. So if they get to that, I'd like to see. It, it would be fun to see, but man, would I have trepidation about that. I would be like, I know, Brandon, you've been so excited about Ahsoka ever since we sat in that arena and watched, what, 15-second clip that they put together for Celebration last year. Like, you've been buzzing ever since, which is uh, fine, which is yeah. great. I would have an equal level of trepidation to your level of excitement uh, if they were to give us some kind of, you know... Yuzan Vong style threat. I, I just, that would scare the living daylights out of me because some of this stuff is just hokey enough as it is, but monsters and, and, you know, 
oh, man, coral skipper ships that, that are alive. And sh- if we could get shadow bombs, that'd be pretty cool. That would be where a Jedi flying an X-Wing doesn't actually fire a proton torpedo. They just drop one out and they use the force to guide it because the Izzy Long <laughs> could actually detect. Don't laugh. I didn't write it. The use on Vong. That's why we can laugh. And they create these little black, like miniature black holes as shields, and that's how they suck up the proton torpedoes. But when they use the force to move the proton torpedoes, they can't actually detect where they're moving, and that's how they hit them. Listen, the level of stuff I have retained from these books shocks even myself. It makes no sense. I don't know why it's stuck in my brain. But you know how, like, your musical taste, like the music you listen to as an adult has roots in what you listen to when you're like between the ages of 13 and 15. Same thing with my books. Or is the exact same thing, but whatever. We don't need to talk (laughs) about that right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I'm listening to the same Linkin Park album I've been listening to since 2001. What are you talking about? (laughs) God. Oh. It's really good. You shut up. (laughs) So good. No, no. I'm right there with you. Oh, okay. Trust trust me. We're going to throw down little Mr. I can recite eight mile to the beat, you know, the entire thing. Yeah, I can do it acapella. Duh, obviously. (laughs) Who can't? Um... Yeah, no, it, it's gonna be, it's gonna be exciting to see where this goes. Like, I, I think we're all in agreement that this is setting up something. This show is setting up something bigger, and we didn't really get a ton of that in these two episodes. It was a lot of character-based stuff, and we got you know a, a reference to Thrawn here and there. We got the the map, you know, like we got the important things that we needed, uh, but it was really. It wasn't focused on how we're going to get there and what's going to happen afterwards. It was develop these characters and to take the time in this show to do that. I mean, we talked about it a lot in Andor, how, you know, they took the time to and they had more time to do it, but they did take the time to really develop these characters and relationships. So when you got into the weighty stuff later on, you were invested in the characters. And so is this going to do that to just the master class that is Andor? That, of course, you know, is we have to wait to, to see how that's going to work out. But I have a lot of optimism going forward. And, uh, yeah, so what do you guys, we've got, uh, I think the next episode is roughly like 30 to 35 minutes. So we've got a short, probably action-packed episode coming <laughs> for us. Uh, anything you guys are, are particularly looking forward to seeing going forward that we haven't talked about yet? Hmm... Boy, that's a tough one. I'm trying to think because you're right. You know, you mentioned at the beginning that in the first two episodes, we got a lot of the promotional stuff. So and not everything, but no, there's still a couple shots we haven't been able to clock just yet. The Pergil. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the Pergil, Mon Mothma. Isn't there a fight in the snow? I think like there's a rematch lightsaber battle. Yeah, there's a couple. There's, There's yeah, and Balin and Ahsoka, yeah. 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 Which, sorry to cut you off, Devor, but Mm -hmm. did anybody else get Tython vibes from the way that that thing was built? Like seeing so. Okay, all right. All right, cool. I just needed to be validated. Thank you. The implication was that it was almost the exact same thing. Okay. And then when a giant map sprung up, I was like, no, wait a minute. (laughs) Is there a hollow projector plugged in somewhere I'm not seeing? The force works in mysterious ways. That's what I keep hearing. So yeah. I have I have a separate question before we talk about like what what uh, and um, what we expect is going to come next week or whatever. Where is the droid from again? And what's he doing with Ahsoka? 
he is originally when, from the Gathering arc in Clone Wars with the younglings on Ilum. Is that in so, season like five or six? Is something yeah five maybe? It was a real good chance yeah. Okay. Yeah, so he is but, there. Where he has been in between then and now is a question mark. Oh, really? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Was I, David Tennant the voice in the show? Yes. Yeah. yeah. You guys didn't tell me that when I was doing watching Clone Wars. Because <laughs> I, I, I heard the droids video. I was like, wait a minute. I recognize that voice from somewhere. And for some reason, I, my brain kept going Matt Smith. I was like, it's not Matt Smith, but it's related. How is it related? Well, I figured it out by the time we hit the credits. Yeah. I, I did like the how they... the most interesting character? Why is the droid always... He's really most... good. He's really good. Yeah. It's really fun. I didn't know they had, you know, a droid that was 500 years old. Oh, he's way what older than that. In Clone Wars... the job the 501st really did flushing out the temple after Order 66? Like, clearly, they didn't do as thorough a job as we have been led to believe. Right? How many Jedi have survived? And now you're talking about droids that have survived as well? Well, to be I'm fair, so the droid was on a ship. Huyang. Oh, the, uh, <laughs> the droid stole a ship? <laughs> <laughs> the droid stole a freighter. The droid stole a freighter, you're telling me? It yes. is like poetry. It does all right, but take it basically, back. Five out basically. of five. Uh, no, in the Gathering arc, they, he's on the ship that takes them back from Ilum and the younglings are building their lightsabers on that ship. It's where he's got all his parts and everything. And he actually, this is something I picked up in on last time I watched it. He says he is 25,000 years old. 25,000? That's what he says. Yeah. Oh, Which, for the love of Mike. The Jedi have, have the, Je- the Jedi. Mm, oh, we're going to talk. I don't, I don't. Nope. The James Mangold movie, the Origins of the Force movie, 25,000 years before. I'm just throwing it out there into the ether so that when I'm right, I can go back to this, clip it, and make it Drew's ringtone. Ugh. Oh, Drew, I also want to add this detail. He is technically yes. Professor Huyang. <laughs> he has a title. <laughs> he went to school for that. Thank you very yes. much. <laughs> oh, um, I liked his sequence with the, like, the lightsaber explanation because that's how you give us character background without him reciting his resume mm-hmm. yeah it was yeah it, it, it was perfect showing not telling exactly i was like more of this like that was a really good sequence because it was telling me about the character but in a method in which was utilizing his expertise and his abilities and and not just kind of hitting you oh well like you said Brandon I happen to be twenty five thousand years and you know I attended this particular droid academy to get my and did my doctoral thesis in this it's like nah you're of all the lightsaber hilts I've seen I've not seen one like this in five hundred years it gives us so much information but it's all focused on the story and that's the way you tell a good story yep yeah one hundred percent ten agree. out of ten. I also Can't just love the, he we know he's not going to survive the show though, right? There's a solid chance of that. Yeah. <laughs> Although, I mean, I just go in expecting all my favorite things are going to explode. I was right with Starlight Beacon, <laughs> but that's a different story. It, 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 this is just pure speculation. He could show up in the Ray movie and he's somehow helping her with younglings, but yeah. Okay. I'm I'm leaning more towards the K2SO style ending uh Ooh. for Professor Hu Yang. Oh, yeah, I know it's gonna hurt, but I I do also love that they uh, 
are featuring, you know, what the lightsaber means to the person. You know, they talked about yes. Sabine modifying Ezra's lightsaber. Uh, you you have like the the basicness of Shin's hilt and everything, and and then the more complicated elegance of Balin's. And I know they, I think it was San Diego Comic Con where they had a booth featuring like the props of Ahsoka and you yeah. Had, the Inquisitor outfit and everything, and they had their lightsabers. And I thought it was really cool that, you know, we got to get close-ups on their lightsabers because most of the time we don't get to see those things in the show. We don't get to see the little details and everything. So I like that they took a moment to to feature those visually and that they used them also as a storytelling element. So you kind of got it on all different levels. That honestly might be the best scene other... Mm, I think the best scene for me is the the bad guys at the map, but just in terms of execution and direction and everything else that goes into making a good scene, like that really just really worked for me. Yeah. It's definitely without having watched any of this again, it definitely is one of the standout moments of these first two episodes. Yeah. All right, so Devor, let's go back because I interrupted you, and then Drew interrupted me interrupting you. And then I'm pretty sure I interrupted again. So back to DeVore. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think we have coming up in the third episode? Yeah, I think, you know, you mentioned the expected, predicted, anticipated runtime of the episode. I think given the way that the first two were kind of paced and structured, I think for three, we are in store for kind of like a transition episode because now we've gotten the setup to the adventure. So we've gotten that kind of first act done. Like we got to that point and our heroes are now on their quest. And so now I think this one is, you know, I think is probably going to be, you know, predominantly this kind of like action packed, heavy hitting. And then we're going to, you know, we're going to get to four, possibly five. Then we're going to slow it down again. So I think that's what we're in. I, th- I think we're in for that kind of classic sort of adventure excitement episode. Yeah, I think hmm. I think we could definitely get the Pergil, like because that that shot, uh, that last shot where she says, "Take us out, Padawan." If I remember correctly, in the trailer, there it's like right next to the Pergil. So I I wouldn't put it past them to put those two things like you know close to each other in the series as well. Um, I really think we're going in like in episode four will be when we get, uh, you know, some kind of some kind of reckoning with Ahsoka and Anakin and her finding out about his redemption or something of that nature will happen in the middle of the series. That'll kind of something to do with that will shift her attitude attitude more towards Sabine um, and kind of open open her heart up a little bit more. So to get there, I, I definitely think you have to have Sabine and Ahsoka going through some kind of adventure and you have to have something pushing Ahsoka to find that information. So I think maybe we get that, uh, we get both the Pergil and the Balin Ahsoka fight in uh, episode three. I'm going with the, the wow. action-packed hot take there. So uh, Drew, what about you? What do you think we get in, in the third episode oh, of Ahsoka? I got to come up with something different now from the two of you. Um, or just like, what do you, what thread are you looking forward to seeing? No, I think we're going to, it's going to focus completely on a character we haven't seen for two or three years. 
as they're doing rehabilitation on Coruscant, and they're going to go on a nice date with a person that they met, and they're going to visit the top of that mountain. <laughs> you remember that? Like, they're going to go to that, and they're going to share some space ice cream. I don't Bold know. prediction. So it's like poetry, it rhymes. Yeah. I mean, they've copied every other piece of Star Wars elements <laughs> out there, so why not one more? All right, so let's wrap it up by giving our new uh, updated ratings for these episodes. And I'll go ahead and start because shocking absolutely nobody uh, talking more about this show has just made me more excited about this show. So I'm bumping up. I, I still don't... I want to hold off on a five out of five because I... Don't think the I think at the end of the series these are might not even be the best episodes. They might not even be in the top half of the best episodes. There's so much more for us to get. So I, I'm going to put it at a four point five. So Devore, you kind of gave us all of your ratings. You gave us yes. the individuals and the together. So give us all three now. How do you rate these episodes individually? How do you rate them together? All right, individually and together, I think after our conversation, I think I'm going to stay right where I am. Yeah? I, I, okay. think, I think I like it. Yeah, I think I like four out of five for the first one, four and a half for the second, and then a four overall. Because, I mean, you know, we did hit a lot of the, you know, a lot of the highs of the episode and a lot of the great things that we like in terms of these, you know, with the interesting things related to both the returning characters and the new ones that said, you know, we started the conversation, we kind of fronted it with a lot of our kind of concerns, questions, uncertainties. And I think even after this conversation, those linger and unless and until some of those are resolved, I think I'm staying right where I am. Okay. All right. Drew, yep. what about you? Not, not to break the mold, I'm going to also retain my, my rating of two out of five. Um, I have great concerns, as DeVore gently puts it, we talk about our concerns. So um, I am unmoved and unconvinced it's anything than what I saw to begin with, but not enough to turn it off just yet. So we're already beating Tales of the Jedi. Wow. It goes below the belt at like the end there. The that hurts. worst entry I've seen so far on screen. And I haven't even seen all of the, the, those young Jedi adventure things yet with nubs and those characters. There's so much fun. Yeah. <laughs> they were a big hit in our house for about three hours, and then they, wa they had watched all of them like three times. And then they're like, all right, what's up? what else is on Disney Plus? You want to know what's crazy is like, in the morning, my wife will be watching like some uh, Netflix murder documentary, and I'm in over the here. Morning? Yeah, I don't know. Women are weird. Um, <laughs> I don't know how they watch that stuff to relax. It doesn't make any sense to me. But here we are. This is the reality. Lindsay does the same thing, as far as I know. Like they, really? they just yeah, she's into the, like watching the cults and the murder documentaries and stuff. That's so, true. She does enjoy a good cult. Yeah. So like. She's over there. My wife's over there watching murder stuff, and I'm over here watching a preschool show. It's just, <laughs> it's an interesting dynamic. But, uh, and Carrie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no joke. So, anyways, all right, guys. So, 
We are going to be covering Ahsoka all across uh, the the podcast feed here. Um, as you're listening to this, uh, Mark had a special episode come out of Forever Star Wars where he's talking about Ahsoka. Uh, we are going to continue talking about it here. I know Lindsay and Drew are going... Or Lindsay and Drew. Nope. Drew, if you go over on Sith Talk, can talk more about it and hopefully get your rating up to a three out of five. But... Until Drew makes it over there, uh, Zach and Lindsay will be holding it down over on Sith Talk. Uh, and, I mean, guys, we're talking Ahsoka. Uh, we've got so much great stuff going on. And uh, we just are appreciating you being a part of it. This is a lot of fun. Uh, I was just looking a little bit uh, before we started recording at our Facebook uh, feed and everybody commenting on, about their thoughts about Ahsoka and the great conversations going on over there. So make sure you are following us on uh, on all of our socials. Drew, if people want to hear more of your opinions and get some more salt from your saltiness, oh, where can they do that? That's, I mean, it's appropriate. It's just not nice. Um, I, I am slowly winding down my Twitter activity. Um, I think it's just time to end that particular chapter of our internet usage. Um, so I'll be lurking in the Facebook group. What's the proper name of the Facebook group again? Can you Star Wars Clashing Sabers. Star so Wars Clashing Sabers. So I'll be there trying to join in a little bit more, not necessarily stirring the pot, but not exactly slowing it down either. Fair enough. And Devor, uh, if people want to hear more of you, a larger view of the, of the Force, and uh, just keep in touch with you, where can they do that? All right. Um, I am still on the website platform formerly known as Twitter, so you can follow me there <laughs> at a larger view pod. Find me on X. Read my posts. Well, you still can go to Twitter.com, and it's the exact yes. same tool. Makes no sense. You are correct. <sighs> so, yeah, you can follow me there. Uh, you can also listen to me over on Space Swifties, a Star Wars and Taylor Swift podcast that I host <laughs> with my wife, the one and only Meg Dowell. Yes, definitely worth a good listen and subscribe over there as well. So, guys, until next time, uh, we are going to wait till, I mean, I've already made my predictions for episode three. I'm going with episode eight. Yep. In the finale. Calling it now. We're going to get batch eight. Hi ho. Hi ho. You guys seemed very unenthused about my we're gonna get batch eight. I need <laughs> a real peppy hi ho from you. We did it in unison. What more can you possibly want? I mean it's me. I'm always wanting more. Have you not learned this about That's me? That's true. That's true. I don't true. understand moderation. All Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of the Clashing Sabers network and ClashingSabers.net. All licensed sounds and images are the property of their respective copyright holders and are used for informational and educational purposes only. For more information on our nonprofit or to nominate a teacher, go to ClashingSabers.net. For questions or inquiries, please email us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. You're just going to walk away?